finish line in our series here. Uh, we're in chapter 6. So this is the, the final chapter of Paul's letter. We're in chapter 6, and we're going to be finishing up with Paul's dramatic conclusion on Good Friday and Easter um, this upcoming, later this week here. Uh, but we get to work through um, these last uh, few instructions that Paul has for his church. And so if you've been wondering, what does this new life in Christ look like practically? Or what does it mean to keep in step with the Spirit? Paul continues to explain it more concretely here in chapter 6. And so in our text this morning, he gives four short, succinct, final instructions to these Christians in Galatia. And so I want to look uh, this morning briefly at um, a plea in verse 1, a command in verses 2 through 5, an invitation in verse 6, and a final warning in verses 7 through um, 10. So we're going to look at each of these in turn so that we can see how each fleshes out our new life in Christ empowered by the Spirit. And I think there's a word here for everyone this morning, right? We get four almost mini-sermons, four little instructions. So I think there's going to be something here for every single person in this room to take away and put very practically into action. Because Paul, as he is landing the plane here in chapter 6, he wants to make it abundantly clear. How do we walk this out? How do we live this out Together. So my aim for this morning is that we would all find ways to actively participate in our new life in Christ by the power of the Spirit. That we would all find ways to actively participate in our new life in Christ by the power of the Spirit. So let me pray uh, briefly one more time that God would come and meet us as we gather around his word. And so, Father, as we come this morning uh, diving into Galatians and this final chapter, God, would you meet us here in this holy week, in this season of the year, which we find ourselves uh, reflecting on Jesus, who he is, what he's done, uh, his death in our place, his resurrection, and the new life that he offers. Uh, Father, we pray uh, that we would be able to live into the new life that we have in Christ and see how you are moving and shaping and calling us into uh, what this all looks like. And so we pray that you come this morning by the power of your spirit. You'd speak to your people through your word. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's start here with Paul's first uh, plea here in chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him, but do it in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted. So Paul starts with a little bit of a, of a, of a plea here to bring people back that have strayed away, that are caught in sin and walked away from the faith. And I don't know if you've ever uh, maybe feeling, maybe if you've ever been confronted in your life, anybody ever been confronted about your, your sin, it's usually not a comfortable experience. Um, some of us may, in fact, have some trauma associated with that. Maybe you've been kind of bullied into repentance, or maybe you've been shamed into obedience or guilted into obedience. And if you have maybe had some negative experiences, people um, confronting you for your um, sin, you may be a little gun shy with all this talk about confronting people, but Paul has here a beautiful vision for restoration, not condemnation. I want you to see that here in this text. Paul's vision is for restoration and not 
uh, condemnation. The first thing we need to notice here is that anyone can be caught in sin, from the guy in the pulpit right down to the Swedish child out there in the pews, right? Anyone can be caught in sin, right? That's Paul's point. If anyone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should help restore him. First Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And so right, we all struggle, we all sin, and we are all in need from time to time. We all get caught in sin and all in need of gentle restoration. And so uh, while Paul says that anyone can fall into sin, not just anyone should seek to restore them. Notice what he says here in verse 1. If anyone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual, right, should seek to restore him, right? Paul says, you who are spiritual. What does that mean? Are these the Jedi masters of the spiritual faith here? The spiritual ones, (laughs) those that are really cool. No, this is just... Normal Christian people manifesting the fruits of the Spirit, right? Love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithless, gentleness, self-control, right? Isn't that the kind of person that you would like to gently restore you in the faith? Um, Paul accentuates one of those, highlights one of those qualities, one of those fruits of the Spirit. Spiritual people have gentleness. And so when they wade into a rather delicate situation where someone is caught in sin, they do it with the appropriate amount of gentleness, right? Because when someone's caught in sin, they're vulnerable, right? You've been there, you've experienced that, you know, struggling with guilt and shame. Um, We can be defensive, we can withdraw, we can attack, we can be evasive, we can pretend everything's fine, be proud, headstrong, argumentative, you know, it takes someone with the fruit of the Spirit, right, to gently restore someone, to bring them back into their relationship with God, back to fellowship with fellow believers, back into communion with the saints. And so Paul gives us the beautiful admonition here to gently walk alongside of people and gently restore them. Of course, Jesus gives further instructions in Matthew 18, 15 through 20, about how to go to the person privately and not embarrass them publicly or call them out, but we're supposed to walk alongside of them. Through that, you can read more about that again in Matthew 18. But finally, Paul warns us two of the occupational hazards of this ministry of restoration, right? He goes on to say at the end of verse 6 here, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, but keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted, right? We're not above temptation, right? We have to keep watch on ourselves as well, lest we tempted, which is just to say we need to be humble, right? As we walk with people who are struggling and in sin, you know, we aren't coming in on a level of like, we got this all figured out, and then you pathetic struggling people down here, you know, who need to get their lives together. No, Paul's saying that we're all subject to temptation. We're all subject to trouble. When we have to, you know, seek someone out for restoration, we do so with the spirit of humility, a spirit of gentleness, a spirit of kindness. And in a culture rampant with spiritual abuse, right, man, we would love to be a church marked by this ministry of gentle restoration. And maybe this morning God wants to do some gentle restoration in your life. Or maybe God is putting someone on your heart right now who is in need of this gentle work of restoration. Maybe they've just kind of wandered off or strayed away in this really bizarre, crazy season of life. Uh, This whole season of COVID, many people have just kind of wandered off wondering what is going on, disoriented by all the strife and trouble and difficulties in the world. 
around us. And so we have this beautiful invitation as a church to be ministers of gentle ministers of restoration and reconciliation. What, what a privilege here to live out our new life in Christ in this way. So Paul starts with this plea for us to be gentle agents of restoration. He then gives a command in verse 2. And this is the command. He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We are never meant to do life on our own. The burdens of this life are simply too heavy to carry, right? We need each other, right? You know, having walked through a crazy, disorienting season uh, with COVID, all the ups and downs, all the crazy political stuff that went down, um, the racial tensions, like we live in just a really difficult, challenging time, not to mention personal suffering, you know, losing people to cancer. I lost my dad last year to cancer. Sickness of various sorts and pain and relational discord. Um, so many burdens that we walk through that we just can't carry on our own. Uh, in chapter 5, you know, Paul called us to serve each other through love and so fulfill the law. Here in chapter 6, Paul calls us to bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so what is this law of Christ that Paul is talking about here? Christ is the law of love personified. He is the law lived out perfectly in flesh and blood. So we bear each other's burdens. Um, We're going to have to pattern our lives after Christ's burden-bearing love, which finds, of course, its highest expression at the cross, right, where Jesus took our sin on his shoulders, right? That's the kind of burden-bearing. We're called to follow Jesus in stepping in and shouldering burdens and carrying. And burden bearing is interesting, right? If you're going to carry a burden, you have to get in close with somebody, right? You have to step in there. If you're going to actually share the weight, share the load with somebody, that means you're going to have to get in close. You're going to crouch down there and and get your shoulders around. You have to get in people's business and into their lives and into the messiness that they're around if you're going to be able to carry some of these weighty, heavy burdens. And of course, as a church family, we have a beautiful invitation, right, to get into each other's lives, share the burdens that we bear and that we walk so alongside of. And Jesus' willingness to bear our burdens reminds us that none of us is exempt from this responsibility. We see here in verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ for anyone who thinks he's something when he's nothing deceives himself, right? There are people that think, man, I'm above that bearing other people's burdens. Like, you know, I have somehow made it to platinum class Christian, you know, where I just kind of cruise through life and let other people deal with, you know, burdens and all those little trifling things. No, Jesus is, Paul is saying here, no, we, we bear burdens like Jesus bears burdens. We don't think ourselves above the work of caring for those around us and lending our strength where other people are weak. And so Paul gives us this command, bear one another's burdens, get in to the messiness of life together with other people, walk alongside of them, lend your strength, your gifts, your privileges, your abilities to help others grow and flourish. It's interesting in verse 2 through 3, Paul focuses on bearing each other's burdens, but in verses 4 through 5, he flips the script. He all of a sudden says, actually, never mind, you guys are supposed to bear your own load. Notice, Notice how he transitions here in verse 4, but each of you, but let each of you test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear 
his own load. And you're like, wait a minute, Paul. Didn't you just say we're supposed to bear each other's burdens here and so fulfill the law of Christ? And now you're saying, what, each is going to have to bear his own load? What is Paul saying here? What's going on? Is he contradicting himself here in the same paragraph? No, Paul is contrasting two different sets of responsibilities, right? We're called to help bear each other's burdens, but we also have loads that God has given us. There is a community and individual responsibility that Paul is fleshing out here, right? Burdens are weights that are too heavy to carry alone. We just would, we would sink under that burden. We wouldn't make it. Uh, but a load is a personal responsibility that we're called to carry to the glory of God. Um, the two different words are interesting in the Greek, right? The burden is something huge, this big burden. The load was like a pack that people would wear, just a small backpack that you'd be able to carry alongside of you. It was you're just your normal responsibility in life, something that you could carry on your own. And so at the end of our lives, right, we're each going to have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And at that time, right, we can't ride anyone else's coattails or take credit for other people's work. We're going to have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ responsible for the loads that God has given us uh, to carry. So, so the natural question here is, how do you know the difference between when to bear one another's burdens and when we need to bear our own load, right? How do you know, right? If, if Paul's, if I was painting this picture, you're like, well, when do we step in? And do the burden bearing. And when do we need to just, man, figure out how to learn our own burden? I would suggest, and, and there's probably a lot of complexity in this conversation and a lot of wisdom that's going to be required to discern the difference between the two. But I think parenting helps us, right? As parents, um, as we want to help our kids. We don't want them to get crushed beneath the burdens of life. They're like little. And you know, the smaller they are, the more concerned we are that they don't get crushed by life's burdens. But as they grow, we know if we don't put burdens, if we don't start to give them responsibilities and loads to carry, when they grow up, they will be totally incapable of functioning in life, right? We're raising our children to release them out into the world. And so while we want to protect them from the burdens of life that might crush them individually, we're giving them responsibilities in their lives so that they can bear their own load when they get out on their own and are able to be responsible. So similarly in the church, right, we're called to help people, right? When we see someone who's just drowning, right, under the burdens of life, to just rally around them, encourage them, and support them. But when we see somebody who's like, you're like, that, actually, you can carry that load. You're stronger than you think. <laughs> you actually have the ability to step up and carry this. You know, our responsibility as a church is to help them learn how to carry their own responsibilities and loads as well. So, so Paul is working both of this, both sides of this, right? Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the love of Christ, but also we need to learn how to carry our own loads because we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and have to answer for our own work. So, so Paul starts with this plea for gentle restoration. He calls us to share burdens and carry our unique loads. And third, Paul invites his readers uh, to an invitation to fellowship in the word. This is uh, here in verse six here. Let everyone who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Let all with the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. So Paul starts with the one who is the beneficiary of the teaching, right? This Greek word katecheo is where we get our English word catechesis. Uh, There's a long tradition in the church to catechize or instruct people in the basics of the faith. And so um, what would happen in the early church, particularly leading up to Easter, leading up to Holy Holy Week, is that people would be instructed for many months 
uh, to prepare to know what it meant to join in this Christian faith, to be a member of the church. And so there'd be all this preparation and training. And then on Easter Sunday, people would be baptized and they would join this new church community, but there'd be extensive training and preparation for that. And so as a church today, we like to do the same thing. That's why we have membership classes. That's why we do baptism classes. That's why we're teaching about missional living. We really want you to be instructed in how to live out the faith. We want, that's why we teach through books of the Bible, right? We want you to be instructed in the whole counsel of God. We want the Bible to come alive for you. And so, so that's the first side, right? Paul says right here in verse six, right? Let the one who's taught the word, right? We have a privilege here at this church and we have a rich array of teaching available. But then Paul goes and say, if you've benefited from this instruction or catechesis, then be sure to share all good things with your teacher so they can continue to do this important work. And so this sounds somewhat self-serving, standing up here talking with the teacher. But by the way, you could share all good things with the people that do the teaching. And, you know, Pastor Josh, too. Hook him up. You know, take care of the guy, right? (laughs) The word to share here is beautiful, actually. Um, It's from the same root as fellowship. Paul is saying that if you've been blessed by the teaching of the local church, you have an opportunity to share in the ministry by supporting it, right? You can volunteer your time, your space, your feedback, your finances, etc., to help the important work of the gospel move forward. In Paul's day, right, as in ours, there were bivocational missionaries and church planners who worked to support themselves, but others were starting to make their living as pastors full-time, and Paul wanted to make sure these pastors and teachers were provided for by their local church so that they could do the important work of training and instruction and weren't giving it all short shrift. And that's something that here at Redemption City, man, we have been so blessed. I mean, it is in such an encouragement to be at a church that loves uh, teaching ministry that comes alongside, where people have opened their homes, where people have partnered together to do these classes and teaching and instruction and um, you know, doing things like our preaching cohort or, you know, the spiritual, the becoming like Jesus class or our biblical theology class. We've had a group of people come together to support that work and encourage the teaching here at the church. And of course, we've seen generous giving here um, at our church to support the work that we're doing here. So, so just give you a thank you as a church uh, for that. Continue to excel in that gift of sharing all things in the work that we have together. So Paul starts with the plea for general restoration. He calls us to share burdens, carry unique loads, and Paul invites us to fellowship in the word, this opportunity to share together in gospel ministry. And finally, he concludes with a dramatic warning um, in verse 7. And so moving through these quick, I said they were short, I said they were succinct. Uh, Here we are coming into verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Some some weighty words, right? God is not mocked. (laughs) Whatever he sows, that which you also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh corruption or destruction, your text might say. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Life. If you have somehow made it to this point in our series and think you can pursue your own sinful desires, flesh, and somehow escape 
the consequences, Paul wants to slam that door closed very hard. (laughs) He's very uh, blunt here, right? God has built consequences into the fabric of life such that when we ignore his design for life, you will inevitably suffer, right? Sin inevitably leads to suffering. This is the message of the book of Proverbs in a nutshell. Just to give one example, Proverbs 22.8, the one who sows injustice will reap disaster, right? That's just how God has designed the world. As surely as sowing wheat leads to a harvest of wheat, so our lifestyles, our actions, our habits, our behavior are leading us in one of two directions, to eternal life or eternal death here. And so to give an illustration from a long time ago and a galaxy far, far away, I want to put up a little slide for you here um, from, uh, from our good friend uh, Anakin, a.k.a. Uh, Darth Vader here. Um, this meme is one of my favorite floating around for some of you fellow Star Wars nerds. Uh, but it starts here. You've got little Anakin with fear, uh, which leads to anger, which leads to hate, which leads to suffering. <laughs> and if you follow the narrative arc of... Uh, Anakin's lifestyle, you see that play out, right? So to the flesh, you reap suffering and ultimately destruction and death. And there is a beautiful redemption arc in there in that series. Thankfully, it doesn't all end with suffering there. But, but still, you see the point here, right? Fear, anger, hate, ultimately leading to suffering. It's just the way the world happens to work. Uh, to put this maybe in a more positive way, um, there's an old saying um, ran across in one of the commentaries here. Uh, Sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character and reap a destiny, right? There is such a way that the way you lead your life is leading you in one of two ultimate uh, directions. And Paul is closing, right, with a very strong call to live our lives according to God's beautiful design, right? To sow to the spirit, not to the flesh, to begin to build into our lives, right, the habits that are going to help us grow into the people God is calling us to be. And Paul elaborates on this again, and particularly the, the, the community dynamics of this in verse 9 through 10, because for Paul, right, sowing has deeply beautiful corporate implications. So in verses 9 uh, through 10, we read these words, And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Right? Sowing to the flesh will destroy ourselves, and it will destroy our community, while sowing to the Spirit comes down to a lifestyle characterized by doing good to everyone, right? Especially those who are of the household of faith. Doing good summarizes the acts of love and service and burden-bearing that Paul has been calling this church to already, right? The way we, we sow into our relationships is through these acts of love and service and burden-bearing and caring for another, um, gently restoring one another. Those are the kind of good deeds that ultimately reap a beautiful, rich, robust, biblical community. This is faith working through love, faith in action, faith in practice. Um, R.A. Cole said this, well, Paul never wearies of telling folk that they cannot win God's favor by good deeds. 
he equally never wearies of telling them of their duty to do good deeds, right? That's the paradox in Paul that we find over and over again. You, you can't establish your standing before God based on your good works, your good deeds. Uh, but boy, as Christians called by God, loved by God, adopted into his family, right? We can't help but people characterized by love and Good deeds. And so uh, the great question I think we have to ask ourselves as we come to the conclusion of the main body of Paul's letter is, are you sowing to the flesh or to the spirit? You know, what practical steps are you taking to invest in your new life in Christ? Because in reality, there can be no neutrality, right? If you are not sowing to the spirit, you can be sure that you are sowing to the flesh because that is the cultural current we are swimming in. If you go, yeah, I'm just kind of treading water here. Actually, you're just getting carried down the river. You're getting carried along by the cultural currents, right? Unless you're actually making investments in your spiritual life, making deposits in your spiritual life in very real, very practical, very concrete ways, you're not going to see the kind of returns that you would like to see in your spiritual life. Like, let me give you one practical example of what sowing to the Spirit might look like from Dane Ortland. Uh, he said this, and I thought this was beautiful and practical and helpful. He said, move through your day praying. Let God be your moment-by-moment Father, uh, which is a theme we've seen in Galatians. Hear his voice in Scripture in the morning and turn that Scripture into prayer. And then let that time with him, that back-and-forth communion, send you off into your day communing with him all day long. And as you do, you will grow. You won't feel it day-to-day, but you'll come to the end of your life a radiant man or woman. And you will have left in your wake the aroma of heaven. You will have blessed the world. Your life will have mattered. There's nothing flashy, I don't think, or original about that recipe, right? These core practices of prayer and scripture reading, but practice consistently over time in communion with God, in union with Christ, in step with the Spirit. They will make you a radiant man or woman. You will leave in your wake, I love this, the aroma of heaven. You will be a blessing and your life will have mattered. We all want that, right, for our lives. We all want our lives to have mattered, for us to have that kind of impact on the people around us, on our friends, on our family, on our neighbors, on our coworkers. We want to be that kind of people, don't we, right? And Paul's saying, so to the Spirit. Walk in step with the Spirit. Um, live into this faith working through love. So Paul's given us four final instructions as he concludes his letter. So we got a plea for gentle restoration, right? a command to share burdens and carry our unique loads, an invitation to fellowship in the word, and finally a warning not to sow to the flesh. So what would it look like to put these four final instructions into practice this week? Just by way of reminder, right? Who is God laying on your heart right now? Right? Maybe that's caught in sin, that's struggling right now, that's drifting away from the faith. And what would it look like to gently restore them? If God's putting someone on your heart right now, you know, make a note to follow up with them. Shoot them a text, give them a call, uh, pursue them, uh, ask how they're doing. Who do you know right now who has burdens this week? Where are the people that 
you know the share. I mean, I think of the Liddells and being in all alone right now down in Peru, not all alone with their missions team, but, you know, being there, you know, whose burdens this week that we can be lifting up in prayer, that we can be caring for? How can we practically help? Who do you know? Where is, where is maybe God nudging you with someone you know that's bearing a burden that's really weighty and you have an opportunity to step in? Um, share, what are some opportunities, maybe what are some loads you need to learn how to personally bear? Maybe you're like, man, I, I wish people would come bear my burden, and yet there's some areas where maybe you need to learn how to carry your own load. You need to be able to learn how to stand up under the load God has given you and he's entrusted you with. Um, what are opportunities for training and equipping this week? Teaching at Redemption City Church. Guess what? We have a missional living class and everyone in this room should take it. You should all sign up today and go on the Google form and fill it out <laughs> and let Josh know you're going to be there. Um, and then what are some good ways to share all good things with the teachers, you know? Be creative. Think about wonderful ways to share with uh, teachers all the good that you have personally uh, received. And what are some concrete ways you can sow to the Spirit this week? Maybe there's some things that have come up from the class that you guys took earlier this year, that Becoming Like Jesus class. Maybe there's something you say, hey, man, there's some practical steps here maybe that I could be sowing to the Spirit this week, right? Maybe there's some things that God's been putting on your heart throughout this season. And then finally, any specific ways maybe that you have just to do good to those that are in the household of faith. I mean, that's, I love Paul. Just, like, just go do good to the household of faith. Wouldn't that be great? There's some wonderful opportunities for you to just go out there and do uh, some good here. I'm going to close with a classic illustration uh, from C.S. Lewis' Weight of Glory because I think it powerfully captures the gravity of Paul's final warning, the two destinies that he sets before us, eternal life and eternal death. This is what Lewis says, and I'll close here. It's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It is in light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all love, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations and cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is with immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Um, Let's be a church, man, that helps each other along towards this beautiful vision, right? These everlasting splendors that each of us are destined to be in Christ. We have an opportunity as a church to walk alongside of each other each day, step by step, helping each other move towards this glorious destination that God has for us. Let me pray that we might do that together as a church. And so, Father, we come today, uh, this beautiful uh, Holy Week, and um, reflecting, God, on your coming as our King, humble and lowly, uh, riding into town on a donkey, and we come uh, expectantly as we know you're headed to the cross and to uh, the empty tomb, Father. Um, But we know that out of the realities, those central realities of the gospel, 
God, you're crafting us and shaping us into the kind of people you want us to be. You're shaping us more and more into the image of Jesus. So I pray that you would help us to be able to come alongside of each other here at Redemption City Church, that we would be helping each other along to that journey that you have for each of us. And so I want to commit each person here um, in this Holy Week that would be a powerful week, uh, be a week of transformation, of growth, as we become more and more like Jesus. We pray this all in his name. Amen.